Haven't Seen It with Tim Sestito and Tommy Tevenay. Hello, everybody. Welcome on in. Thank you all so much for listening today. This is a podcast where one of us is watching a movie for the very first time. And today that is both of us. Uh, this is a little different than our normal episodes that we do, where it's usually one or one of us hasn't seen some classic movie or just some movie that we find interesting. Um, we're covering the last, arguably the last big movie event ever, uh, <laughs> especially if Hollywood gets its way. But Barbenheimer dropped the 21st of July. That's Barbie and Oppenheimer. We have now seen both. And we're going to just do a little review on it and just our feelings on both movies. Uh, not going to be the normal structure, just a little free-flowing conversation about both movies. Tommy, just to before we dive into the first movie, what was your just general thoughts on both and, and the and like the event, quote-unquote, itself? It, it was cool. I mean, like, you know, you and I are definitely different into the fact that, like, we go to the theaters, like, a, a fuck ton. We go, I, if, personally speaking, I go to the movies almost every weekend, if I can, if there's anything that's interested me, or um, if I'm just bored on a weekend. So it was cool to see, like, people just line up just for, like, movies itself. And you could definitely see people are dressed more for Oppenheimer or, like, you know, see a girl walk by and like everyone's wearing pink in their party and stuff like that it was really cool people made an event out of this in a way we haven't seen in like really a while i mean maybe for endgame was the last real one that was that like much hype behind it (laughs) and endgame was like that was like a colossal event that like was a decade worth of build-up uh that they actually executed and people were just super excited because infinity war was so good for it and it was like I think everybody knew, like, for the main cast of of heroes, like Captain America, Iron Man, it was like, that's it. Like, they're done. This is Mm. different because one is an, it's a biopic and it's an IP, but it's a a toy doll IP uh, that doesn't really have any film history. Um, And, you know, it was the dueling tones, like, just the total shift of the kind of movies that they are. And then it was also having like two great direction directors, generational directors helming these projects that actually made them look good to an audience that might not care who's directing the movie. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, of of directors today that like the casual movie thing, uh well, no. Nolan's Nolan Nolan's, Tarantino. Yeah, Nolan Tarantino and like Fincher, those are probably like the big three, I'd say. Yeah, uh, I would say those there. are the big three. This is probably going to give Greta Gertwig that uh, that kind of prestige now, because now, like, oh yeah, because Lady Bird and Little Woman are both fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. Barbie, which we'll will we will cover, not as great as those, but it's still a lot of fun. But this Barbie's made over seven hundred million at the box office worldwide. It's going to make a billion. Like it's going to make soon. a it's... billion. I, but I think the bigger surprise is. Oppenheimer, which has it, it's not even out two weeks yet, and it's at four hundred million worldwide. That is quite literally insane. Yeah, it's more than just like you know the big temples of like the summer that we thought we're gonna make it. Like, uh, you know, the Flash, you know, got duck out when I can. 
did not even make what Oppenheimer made. Oppenheimer, you'd expect to make like around like 200, 300 million, maybe like 300 is even a little bit pushing it. But 400, that's insane. Like, well, you know, 400 in like 10, in like 10 days. That's insane yeah. for, for a three hour R rated biopic. Like, I, I think people don't yeah. see the distinction between like PG 13 of like a brand name, you know, rating. Yeah that's going to come in and just and like targeted more towards a female audience that a lot of movies aren't targeted towards specifically in like that bigger blockbuster sense. And so like th- that was going to do good regardless of its quality, uh, especially mm-hmm. when the casting of Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling was going to just get people on board. And yeah, it's led to this great thing. Like when I saw Barbie, because I've seen Oppenheimer twice, once in IMAX 70 millimeter. And the first <laughs> time was just a regular print. Uh, it was. Un- did un- IMAX make did IMAX make that much of a difference? Because I only saw a uh, typical digital or whatever. <laughs> For you. Yeah, I would say like, yes and no. Um, like because I saw the first my first screening was in a regular screening and it like i was still as blown away as i was um there but it's in the presentation that nolan wanted to film it in that aspect ratio where the shots are just more enlarged and you're not getting the black bars on the screen on like a normal screen so i think Mm -hmm. somebody like you who just enjoys film and cinema might want to go for it but i also know you're probably like two hours away from the closest screen and i know (laughs) the one in new york city is like sold out for the next pretty much till the end of august without like a front like the first row so it's not i don't think it's like required depending on how much you loved this movie which we'll we'll cover uh in here in just a second but yeah, I I mean I loved it in both and like I honest there's a part of me that's like I know it's 3 hours but I really want to see it in theaters again cuz that's a movie that like deserves to be put in to be seen in theaters. You know what? I think it's time. Let's cover our first film. How mad do you think that um what's his name Hans Zimmer is you know like I feel like he's iconically paired with Christopher Nolan and then this is the first movie that that he brought in a new director because all of Nolan's movies have been Warner Brothers they had a falling out and this was released by Universal <laughs> and he brought Ludwig uh Gor- Goranson who I was not familiar with his work before um, I really wanted to just highlight the score first and foremost because the music is just beautiful throughout this movie. It 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 really uh, like it's really just serves the story in so many ways right here. I mean, this mm-hmm. is a movie that um, 
I mean, I've seen this comparison. So I was thinking this also at the same time, like it's the social network, very similar in terms of like, this is a movie that is mostly set in like boardroom meetings or like, you know, courtroom yeah. meetings and stuff like that. And in the wrong hands or in like, you know, a terrible version of this, it'd just be a slog, just boring, undynamic, like unengaging mm-hmm. whatsoever. But the score, I think, really takes this movie home to like a new point where like, there's so many points where like, you know, for dramatic tension, the score just swelled up to like like Robert Downey Jr. saying something dramatic and be like, boom, holy shit. And you see the movie, it almost is the equivalent of like an action movie bomb, bomb going off or something like that. Yeah, well, okay. I have, I've seen this movie twice. Um, I just want to state that I think that this is Christopher Nolan's best movie by a mile. And I say that as like the Dark Knight being like a pivotal like theater going experience for me. I just remember being unbelievably hyped at like 15 years old for for this move for that movie to come out uh, i remember not even being able to get seats until like the third week like i remember looking online all the time trying to get tickets it was sold out and i saw it in like the like the fourth row from the front like three weeks later with a couple of friends because that's how hard it was to get tickets and i think this blows the dark knight out of the water like i i truly think this is nolan's masterpiece like i i i feel like i need a little bit more but i i think i i i i don't know i love this movie but i did have one criticism which was very apparent in the imax screening of this movie all Uh, right the sound mixing not great well you can say about pretty much any christopher nolan movie right there (laughs) yeah it was it was a big uh but i like i rewatched the dark knight um after my second screening of oppenheimer the sound mix was totally fine this hmm. one was like, uh, like there's time, especially it was more apparent in the IMAX. I, I didn't notice it as much in the regular one, regular screening. Well, where, yeah, you have like the extra whirl of like the fucking IMAX cameras and everything like that. Um, overall, I can imagine. You just, you're... There's this great script and great dialogue. And at points, it's very hard to hear what's going on because it just has like well, music or sound going I was... over it. I was uh, listening to like an article, I think, it was, or a YouTube video through like Vogue, I think it was, and they're talking about how like Christopher Nolan specifically, like he does not like to do ADR whatsoever, and it's sometimes just a narrative choice. I mean, like Tenet is a movie that I saw, I couldn't tell you what the fuck I saw because you couldn't understand the dialogue. Yeah. I mean, granted, like you know, you had to have the subtitles on. This is a common criticism we see of Nolan over and over and over again. Um, I didn't really notice this on my screen, but again, I didn't see an IMAX. I could see the extra difficulty there. But um, I want to circle back on your point of you saying this is Nolan's best movie ever. I'm not sure if I'm there yet. Uh, this movie is very good, and it's a three-hour movie that did not th- feel like a three-hour movie. But I feel like there's just like a top three right here. Like Dark Knight is right up there, and I think the other one would probably have to be maybe Prestige after we just watched that. But this is definitely just like one of his magnum opuses right here. I mean, he just put another one in the canon immediately. But the Dark Knight is something that I can just find myself being more engaged with in a way mm-hmm. and more just classical. Like, that's a movie that I could put on at any point whatsoever. I don't see myself doing that with Oppenheimer. There's certain scenes, yes, but not overall. I'm not going to be like going in and writing points in this movie and be like, oh, they're at this point right now. They're talking about like Roger Robb's trying to cuck him again. <laughs> Yeah, and I think I, I that's where you and I differ. Where okay, the Dark Knight will always just have a very significant place in my heart, and I still think it's it's a five out of five movie. 
um, the only one in his library up to this point. Uh, I think this is better. I, I think the the subject matter of, of it, the way it's handled, and this is also personal preference here. I'm a big World War II, like uh, amateur historian, whatever you want to call it. Like I love reading <laughs> about the it. Band. I love watching documentaries he about it. Like like this is my bread and butter all the other shit <laughs> this is my bread and butter this is this is the subject matter appeals to me regardless so yeah i think maybe that could be a distinction too for it there um for me my big takeaway from it was the weight of the movie because there's a very and i think a valid criticism of christopher nolan movies is that they're always excellently shot excellent scores excellent performances but sometimes it's hard to have an emotional connection to the characters i, I don't know if that's exempt in this one where you're as a like i think it's more prevalent in this one but it I, there was a feeling in this movie and that feeling was the weight of oppenheimer like the weight of who he was on his shoulders and what he accomplished whether you consider it a good or a bad thing that's your opinion but the you feel the weight of what his contrib contribution to society was in a way that I've never really experienced in any other biopic. And like that feeling, like the first weekend after I saw it, I just couldn't stop thinking about this movie. You, yeah, um, you were talking about how the ending really shook you up back, uh, back when you first saw this. And I can see why. I mean, the ending is pretty much just like, him talking to Albert Einstein, which also I didn't expect Einstein to have such a prominent role in this movie. Mm -hmm. Side tangent, but Tom Conti was good in the role. But anyways, that For, from my understanding, uh, some of the meetings were like not like everything yeah. was ha happened, and Christopher Nolan shot the black and white in a objective and the the color in a subjective from from Oppenheimer's point of view. I, I think some of the meetings were condensed with like different scientists just to keep the narrative more linear. And like Einstein's just somebody that the average moviegoer is just going to know versus some <laughs> like, random, oh, I know that guy. <laughs> some random Nobel Prize winner from the 1950s that nobody's going to know. Name um, a scientist, you're going to think Einstein. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, I, that doesn't bother me that much. Like if you're like, well, it's actually this person that he had this conversation with. It's like, okay, he's. If you want, to, if you want to get pedantic, I mean, there's some stuff. With this American Prometheus is like a real like doorstop of a novel, like yeah. huge ass novel. Yeah, and at a certain point, you just have to be like, ah. yeah, nonfiction, just like insane amount of pages and stuff like that. So obviously, you have to condense it. Seven hundred twenty-one pages. I just looked up right now. So and when took, you're adapting, it took years. It took years to for that book to come out. Like it, it came out in 2005. Like that's wasn't he read it for like 20 years? He yeah, was writing it, that book or researching yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, because that's how much there is to the story, and it is a wild story. Like I, I knew nothing about Oppenheimer going in going into this, other than like he was the guy behind the bomb. Uh, yeah, I did not know about like his con, like his a, a communist a, affiliations, like like all that stuff was intriguing to me. Aren't you glad you didn't read the World War II spoilers? I, I am. I am. Well, <laughs> and I, I also got to say, I've, I think there are some, you can make a bad, very valid criticisms. I've seen a lot of really bad criticisms about this movie being like, well, we didn't see the reaction of the people in Japan. And it's like, there's a, 
thousands and thousands of, of, of movies, well, documentaries. The, the books thing is that on that, this the, is about Oppenheimer. The, the, the thing is, the, the, the thing is that, yeah, exactly. He said the title of the movie is called Oppenheimer. And at the end of the day, the majority of this movie is through his point of view. And like, they didn't show the pop, uh, dropping of the bombs of Nagasaki or Hiroshima. Um, and because Oppenheimer didn't see that. So instead, it was more dramatically effective in this case of just oh, like you know haunting. what is his yeah what is his reaction to hearing this happen uh i do really uh i'm really pissed off myself that i immediately ran to the bathroom right after the bomb dropped because i was like oh. all right there's probably gonna be a little lull right here for a second i'm gonna go right quick and then uh i got right back in when they hear the news that like the bomb was getting dropped was like, you, you actually I, probably did pick the right point because then you got to see the scene with like the people in the stands and they're chanting his name and then yeah. just like he's yeah i got, I got to see, i got to be back in time sound, and like and that is unbelievable this, like that's the that perfect was, way to to impact to show what happened in japan without showing it which in my opinion would have been very tasteless to show like the bombs dropping and people in japan running around yeah and because it would have just been super superfluous and just like it's not this movie's gonna have like random like characters from like nagasaki or hiroshima pop up that'd be weird and like I said, just tasteful, but that was um, the moment of him in the crowd. I mean, like the way of sound of this movie, not even just the score, but in terms of that, just how it isolates the tracks a little bit to all you hear is the stomping. And, you know, like here's like a woman crying, a woman uh, laughing, like someone else just like, you know, making out behind the bleachers and everything is just terrifying the fuck out of Oppenheimer. And he's just like in the middle of a mental breakdown. It's a real psychological horror moment, like very... I mean, I got vibes of Lynch in, in terms of this, of uh, just like oh, the yeah. face peeling and like very like Ari Aster kind of A24 type stuff of just like it's very subtle, just how he was just imagining a girl's face peeling of what it would feel like at the new cabin, mm-hmm. just the way of just his mental breakdown right there. Fun fact that girl that her face was peeling was Christopher Nolan's daughter. <laughs> oh, interesting. I did not know that. That's a, that's a nice little cast for her there. Speaking of the cast, we have Cillian Murphy as Oppenheimer, Emily Blunt as his wife, Kitty, Matt Damon as the general, Robert Downey Jr., who was, uh, what's his name? Um, Louis Strauss. Louis Strauss. We have Florence Pugh as his first girlfriend in the movie. Josh Hartnett, uh, Casey Affleck, Rami Malek, Kenneth Branagh. And just just to name a few, because this yeah. cast is the who's who of white dudes. Uh, and <laughs> there's not a bad performance in this movie. What what's great about the, the cast is um you know almost all these people we listed off and like you know there's even more that we haven't even like Dane DeHaan, Jason Clark, um even Jack Jack Quaid, even Josh Peck. These are all people that like for the most part audiences are familiar with and have led a production at one point or another. They've been the star number one on their call sheet right there. So when you see Josh Hartnett pop up or something like that and he goes away for a little bit, um it helps the movie that like you know it's just somewhat familiar with him that you see him pop up and you're like oh yeah it's josh hartner that's always his character it's gonna be tough to keep control of all these names once and once and over and over and over again um i do want to point out that josh hartner he was great in this role i mean oh, we haven't really so seen him in a, we haven't seen him pop up in like a big budget production yeah, I, in like I'm, a I'm while. Hoping this, i'm hoping this brings him back uh into the mainstream prominence also rami malik who is in he is an academy award-winning actor he is in the movie for approximately three minutes uh, yeah. he doesn't speak until the two hour 30 minute mark of the movie and he that's absolutely what's... cooks 
that's exactly what, what I'm saying. Like that that's a what the casting uh like pays off brilliantly where it's just like you don't know, see Ryan Mark in the beginning, like in the middle of the movie and like it doesn't say anything. Okay, like well the, Ryan Mark didn't just show up just for like a quick like cameo or something like that. He definitely hasn't there's a reason why he's in this and then yeah. he pops up and you're like, Oh shit, he dropped like the Minnesota bomb and uh, he dropped the he dropped on, on Strauss, on Lewis Strauss. Yeah, and I I think that um you know, there's a this seem Oppenheimer and Barbie seems like a big market shift in terms of what audiences are looking for. If the 2010s were considered the decade of the franchise, this feels like a big audience shift into we want to watch something unique and original, not eleven Polly Pocket movies and whatever Mattel. We don't want to see a well, movie. I Mattel. I think that. I think that what we're realizing is just like in a much broader sense, audiences want to see movies that don't look like they sucked. I mean, like, yeah. you know, the the Flash, which is like my go-to of like just shitting on stuff right now, is just a movie that people like from the start were just like, this looks like crap. Like, I'm not going to see this. Yeah. The DC EU is so taunted. But at the same point, we have like something like Across the Spider-Verse that's still performing because that's a great movie. And like people want to go see that. Um and if movie, possible, are gonna, if movie tickets are going to cost you 15 to 20 dollars yeah you know you're going to you want quality you don't want like quantity which yeah. i think the studios are need to learn i'm not necessarily positive they're there's, going to learn that mess lesson yeah there's so many like release things where you think about it. i mean like, i saw a tweet recently i mean we just had uh haunted mansion open up uh this past weekend and uh there's a tweet i saw recently that was like all right if you were to um if you're a marketing executive and you what date should we release a movie called Haunted Mansion? And you said anything other than October, then like you'd be fired or late sub- or late September, like yeah, September late September to get get people yeah, in the mood. Exactly, yeah. it's a it's a, it's a lighter the spooky movie. mood. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but instead, you know, it released up against Barmahammer. It did okay, like twenty five million. But I'm that's, sure that's a disappointment for what Disney wanted. It had a hundred million dollar budget. That's horrendous. Um, no, I, and well, the other thing I was saying, I I think like. Like a list oh, yeah. act, I, I think like a list. You know, Tommy just definitely looked up Haunted Mansion and saw the the results and was like, "Budget oh, that was oh, this is a big old bomb." Uh, <laughs> yeah, much yeah. like the one in Oppenheimer. Uh, one hundred fifty million. Uh, oh. so yeah, they got the one hundred fifty million budget and uh, box office was thirty three million. So uh, exactly again, like you know, it's just like they have not been spreading these movies a lot. It seems like kind of almost stressful this summer of like trying to keep up with everything where it's just like i just saw mission impossible um over the weekend uh great. the new one great movie amazing movie um it was packed by screen for over its work but again this we talked about this last week where like if they release mission impossible like august. late august mid to no, late august, august yeah it would have cleaned up it would have done like typical mission impossible numbers but instead they just jam-packed it where, like we went from like Having to go from like you know Indiana Jones to Mission um, Impossible to Mission Impossible to, to Barbenheimer to, to the Haunted the Mansion. Yeah, it's like okay, stop. stop uh, yeah, stop. if you know, for us, like you know, we have AMC Stubs or whatever, or like similar programs where like I don't really care. I'm like, oh, whatever, fine, I'll just go on my thing. But other people are like, you have to imagine, like you know, you have to go through like tickets cost like fifteen bucks, and then you have to go through concessions, which cost like another an extra fifty. 15, to, 15 20 to 20 bucks yeah so, you're so like for bucks. one person yeah one person you're at like 40 50 bucks it's a lot it, movies are just getting more expensive these, these days which is a whole other uh, discussion we can get into but yeah yeah well <laughs> I, I was also saying just by the power of this cast here um 
who so many of them took reduced roles for like Oscar pedigree actors, A-list actors. Like, I think there's a craving from the, from on the uh, creative side, on that performer side of like, we want these really like original scripts and great ideas. And we're willing to work in smaller parts in part, because if you want to work on a bigger production, you have to work on uh, on a franchise. And I think that's uh, kind of been like a well, part of the issue there. It's kind of crazy to think about. I mean, like if you look at the cast right now, um, you have Killian Murphy, who is the Scarecrow. You have Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man, Florence Pugh is Black Widow. Uh, you, you always, it's the annoying thing in Hollywood these days where if you look at a movie, you'd be like, oh my God, that's Iron Man talking to Scarecrow technically right here. Like, oh my God. So a lot of these actors have just experienced in comic book, like big franchise movies. But of course, Christopher Nolan moves the needle in a way that this is a big prestige project. Like we're just talking about Josh Hartman um, or even Josh Peck coming up for a very memorable moment in this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, 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 he uh, I didn't. So my cousin was like, I heard Josh Peck is an Oppenheimer. I think I'm out. Like, he's like, I think he's the worst actor of all time. I'm like, well, I think I trust Christopher Nolan more than you. And he probably has like yeah. two lines of dialogue, which is true. I think he only has like two lines of dialogue in the movie, yeah. but his face is present in uh, the biggest moment of the movie, like very yeah. clear. So, and he's just making that classic Josh face from Drake and Josh with like the squinty eyes. But good yeah. for him. He was fine. He was totally serviceable in what the, they needed to do. So Tommy review of Oppenheimer's give me a score out of five uh first time watch and this is coming after uh i just saw barbie prior, prior i'll tell my experience later but um this was just a very very amazing movie and just like you know the three-hour biopic in a way of a subject that could be very uh boring or droll if not handled well but like between the score the performances the entire structure of the story and like how they narratively chose to edit this movie around just made it just constantly like gripping your seat over uh, this stuff so i'm gonna go five out of five love this movie uh i'm gonna see it again definitely i'm gonna try and see imax whenever uh i can possibly do that <laughs> i think no surprise for anybody who heard me say that this is christopher nolan's magnum opus that i will also give this a five out of five uh the real takeaway for me was just the weight and the power of the story and the fact that it felt like a two-hour movie, even though it was three hours long, uh, I was never once bored. I was never, I was engaged both times fully throughout the movie. Um, and I believe, Tommy, that gives us a specific uh, sound drop I have to play. I call myself a cognac, and I watch the 14 fists of McCluskey. What a picture. What a picture. Good, good picture. It's there, baby. I'm so happy you said five out of five. Hiya, Bobby. Hi, Ken. You want to go for a ride? Sure, Ken. Jump in. I'm a Bobby girl in the Bobby world. Life in plastic. It's fantastic. You can brush my Let's go party. 
So I'm very unoriginal with that one. I'm sure every podcast and their mother used some sort of that combination of a sound drop, but I mean, you know, it works. It works. (laughs) It's a classic for a reason. Um, Yeah. So Barbie, uh, definitely tonally different, uh, a lot shorter than Oppenheimer as well. Uh, Tommy, I'd love to get your thoughts on Barbie. Uh, so first off, I guess this is a time for me to go over my Oppenheimer, uh, Bobberheimer experience. Uh, I decided to go at two o'clock uh, for Barbie for uh, start off uh, the night. And I think starting off Barbie was definitely the right choice. I mean, it, it was a very like good, fun, fluffy movie and just like, pretty much got me like excited to go into the movies. I feel like once I got into Oppenheimer, I was ready for the more serious stuff. And Oppenheimer was a movie that was going to take a lot more meat to chew through and like a lot more like, you know, stuff to like go through and stuff like that and once out the theater i was obviously gonna be chewing on oppenheimer a little bit more but barbie very fun i guess opener (laughs) yeah for me yeah so um i i I had a great time this movie i mean it was fucking hilarious uh ryan gosling especially was a highlight michael sarah was low-key an mvp is is yes low-key uh an mvp for me in this movie he was uh, incredible and just there's a really a great script for a movie that could have been easily trash. I mean, there's earlier versions of this. That was going to be like Diablo Cody took a stab at this at Sony. And then Amy Schumer tried to uh, take a stab at this and, and Hathaway. So I think we really got the I best creative team we could have. And Hathaway would have been fine. But at the end of the day, I mean, like Margot Robbie, she got in control of this. She hired Greg Gerwig. She hired Noah Baumbach. And that's why this movie ended up working. Um, and just visually, she is like, what was she was ideal Barbie or original Barbie or whatever her Barbie's character name was. Um, yeah, like stereotypical Barbie. Stereotypical <laughs> Barbie. Like she looks like stereotypical Barbie. Barbie. No offense to Anne Hathaway and Amy Schumer. Like she looks like she's out of the box Barbie. Uh, and yeah. yeah, so I had a lot of fun with, with Barbie. It was a very uh, cute movie. Uh, the 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 set designs um, and like the practical effects of it were awesome. Um, like easily the best that I've seen this year by far. Mm. Um, I So I guess we should talk because this movie somehow was more controversial than the one about dropping a bomb on Nagasaki and Okasawa for some <laughs> reason um, because the, the uh, right wingers uh, heard the word patriarchy in this movie and uh, that that triggered a, a sense that this was an anti-men, men-hating movie. Um, I didn't really get that sense from this movie. Uh, I'd love to get... Uh, well, yeah, movie. yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't want to dive like too deep into the political stuff, but it's just like the outrage machine right there where it was pretty much a buzzword. But this movie didn't give off that vibe at all. I mean, like it was, you know, just playing up like the opposites thing of like how like you know men are treated like women are in our our you know real world <laughs> uh ken's rather are so i mean i i think that you know it definitely took a humorous right in it and um like way at it and i think that i know a lot of people in particular in this movie um i know like personally just love that speech that um america Ferrer gave like midway through this movie mm-hmm. which was like pretty much a showstopper speech in this movie uh, oh yeah it, yeah, it definitely like I could definitely see that people uh, I know like getting like very moved by it and stuff like that. She was good in this movie, and then uh, right, uh, you know, I think the whole patriarchy thing was played up for a good joke, and like you know, 
it's people that aren't able to laugh at themselves too in a way you know, it's, it's not getting... laugh at yourself but it's also just like recognizing what you're watching because like i'm there is issues in modern movies where like now i think it's more prevalent in like an action genre or a you know science fiction or or you know some sort of like action adventure where like you're asking the audience to just believe that you know where the men are usually seen very lesser like you you'll notice it a lot in some of the some projects um this is a movie titled Barbie yeah um it's called Barbie so you went into a movie called Barbie and we're not expecting it to maybe have a pro woman message and um like literally the point of the figures is that she can do any job she wants like that i feel like that's the whole shtick of, of barbie uh and ken is is just an accessory like it, it literally is just like a ken doll it's, it's been a joke for decades and decades yeah <laughs> so like and you, then you're like okay we're writing a movie called barbie how do we like go ahead and like take what we what audiences know about barbie but make it entertaining and fun uh and i i think they did that um, I think my problem with it was that like they they try like the they wouldn't the message wasn't subtle it was kind of like slapped you across the head like the last like 40 minutes of the movie um, it felt redundant and felt a little lazy for Noah Baumbach and Greta Gertwig who I just hold in very high high esteem um, that was just me I, personally I, I just felt like it was a little too I... heavy handed uh, no, I, I kind of uh, took away from it a little bit for me. Personally. I, 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 I personally didn't get that. I mean, like you know, the message was definitely there, and like they, they weren't subtle about, it, but it didn't feel like just like beating me over the head over and over again. I mean, I think that all the jokes they had within, uh, in service of the message also work right here. I mean, like, um, it was embarrassing him to explain to my girlfriend what the Zack Snyder Justice League cut was after we saw this movie. Yeah. <laughs> i'll say that much but uh you know that was a good one um i really liked when like she's having a meltdown barbie's having a meltdown she's like i just don't feel beautiful and then like helen mirren's the narrator she's like please no if if don't have producers of the film don't have margot robbie give this line if you're trying to get this message across like you know it it played into itself uh a good 2001 space odyssey reference at the start of this movie too with the opening yeah incredible <laughs> uh, i mean i did know that's you know i haven't seen that movie i didn't know there was a reference to it but you've so. never seen it yeah uh, how are you shocked by this i'm pr- we're pretty sure we've talked about this <laughs> oh well, yeah but uh tommy i i can't keep track of everything you have it's seen. a movie we'll have to cover but i'm gonna have to see this in a screening because i've heard yeah, it's a movie I, that like, i would i would agree with you 100 it's a movie that you need the, the- theatrical experience for it's you're not going to get the same impact on on tv at at home as you would in a theater but yeah anyway regardless um yeah i i thought the humor was good uh there was one thing that kind of uh, annoyed me and i found out about it afterwards where i was watching tv and then the there's a chevy advertisement and it was the barb it was the the action scene and i just remember thinking i'm like is this just a promo plug like the the chase scene when they pick up barbie from the mattel headquarters I was like, is yeah. this an advertisement? And then they literally just played that sequence pretty much in verbatim. In verbatim. Yeah. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. damn, that was an advertisement. And that kind of annoyed me, even though it's a Barbie movie, which is an advertisement for Barbie How dare they have my product itself. placement in my Barbie movie? Yeah, um, well, was, there's was, some stuff. 
it was like I was proven right, you know? Yeah. I mean, granted, yeah, of course, with a movie of the scale, they're going to throw in some shit like that. Um, the one thing I did like Will Ferrell, but it was very redundant of like the Lego movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he pretty much was playing the exact same role in, in some ways. Um, and this movie, in a lot of ways, gave off Lego movie vibes in very good, positive ways, I'd say. Mm-hmm. But having Lily Will Ferrell be a secondary villain was just kind of just wasn't even repeating really a villain. Stuff. He was just he was like an antagonist more than like a villain, you know, like just another yeah. thing to drive the plot more forward uh, as a character. I, I thought he was great in this. Like, you know what? When Will Ferrell's in his right lane, he's in his right lane, and honestly, he might be like a one or two note kind of comedian. Uh, and I thought, you know. The Lego movie, it worked, uh, and it works in this. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know? Uh, Yeah, I, you know, Barbie, I I think the standout will be the humor. I think Ryan Gosling's performance, where I think this movie may have broken his brain, given some of the quotes he was giving on the press (laughs) junket, where he's just like, I just don't want to leave Ken. Like, like Ken is just a part of me. It's a part of my life now. It's I'm a Ken. It's almost like, oh, my God. Okay, this character might have broken your brain when it's a Ken doll. But uh, I think I think it's I think it's just perfectly fun, like something to bring into, you know, with your girlfriend on a date night. Like, I think it's just a perfectly fun movie. Uh, It feels like a movie that'll be on HBO for people and they'll put it on and they'll like watch a half an hour of it. And they'll be like, oh, I really like this part. Yeah, it's going to have a little bit more of that feeling to it where you can kind of jump in, jump out of parts of it. Yeah, like the way I was describing it um, to my girlfriend after we saw the movie, uh, both movies was like Oppenheimer, I think was very clearly the, the better movie of the two, but I could see myself revisiting Barbie more. So um, take that for you well. I mean, Barbie's definitely a more rewatchable movie, I'd say. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's, it's kind of by design. Like there's not a ton of rewatchable three-hour movies. It's like the Godfathers and the Lord of the Rings are kind of the only ones. Did, that, did you, that did you that feel bill. called out? Did you feel called out when they talked about the Godfather in this movie? <laughs> uh, I never made a woman watch the Godfather with me, so no. Like I, I don't know. Well, what, what, what's what's the equivalent? <laughs> it's that like two thousand one or like Mulholland Drive, where it's like you gotta watch this. Come on, baby. <laughs> uh, it's, it's probably just whatever movie's on my mind at that point, being like, "Oh, you haven't seen this? Like, you gotta watch it. You just gotta watch it. It's an, un, an unbelievable classic." But like, I also know like Godfather's a lot of meat in the mouth. For, for somebody to be like a casual viewing so when it's like oh I haven't seen Jaws before oh we're watching Jaws because it's like like under two hours uh, oh you haven't seen The Godfather well do you have an entire afternoon let's let's watch The Godfather you know yeah you wonder how it feels when you had to cover for a podcast <laughs> I'm sorry your life is so difficult Tommy I'm sorry you had to cover The Godfather <laughs> one and two one year apart you, you couldn't watch two bad slashers on uh on on streaming from the 1980s like i i, I get it man i get it it's it's yeah. tough <laughs> it's a tough it's world t- out there. It, it's tough uh <laughs> that's it's a really hard life you live um yeah. but yeah barbie i i want to say a good 3.5 out of 5 for me on the review scale i i really enjoyed it i had a good time uh yeah i'd say overall like four out of five for me um definitely rewatchable and just like so many great performances and like great cameos all the different cans were just hilarious and then over and like Simo lou great seeing him pop up and selling out of marvel um and he was fun in this <laughs> what is he in marvel he is shang chi 
Oh yeah, I didn't see that. Um, okay, yeah, well, he yeah. was good too. Um, you know the the Kens having their little rivalry. Kens Mojo Dojo Kasha Casa House was great. I like the like when Ryan yeah. Gosling was just like, you know, I I really just thought the patriarchy was a bunch of horses. Like I've really lost thought interest. It was. Yeah, it's like I'm <laughs> yeah. kind of losing interest. I thought it was just horses. Like that's <laughs> that's a funny line. That's a good line. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I laughed all the way through it. Um, I felt the messages were just they, it just kept slapping you in the face. Where I was like, I could have used it a little more, weaving in cleverly into the story. Um, but yeah, Barbie, good time. Barbenheimer movie event so, of the century by far. So. T- Timmy, did you see both of them back to back or did you I do did Barbie one? Yeah, you didn't do what the same thing that I did. <laughs> I would have liked to. It just like my schedule just didn't break out that I had seven hours to spend in a movie theater. I took PTO off for it because um, that's my American duty. <laughs> but um, yeah, I did Barbie first and then uh, Oppenheimer and later. So we got to the theater at two o'clock for Barbie, five o'clock for Oppenheimer, left the theater at 830. So we're there for like six and a half hours. It was it was it was intense, but I was glad to do it. It's been a while since I did a double feature like that in, in the theater. <laughs> did you fall asleep? I was awake for both movies. I because we started so at two impressed. o'clock. Yeah, <laughs> if you started at five, you would have been no zero chance. You yeah, would have been. I knew myself. <laughs> like imagine you trying to catch like a ten o'clock screening of Oppenheimer. Oh, no, immediately fall asleep. No, no, no shot. <laughs> Sorry, Oppenheimer, but <laughs> it just happened. It's too late. <laughs> So yeah, Oppenheimer, both five out of fives for us. Barbie, 3.5 out of five for me, four out of five for Tommy. Uh, Hopefully this isn't the last great summer uh, blockbuster escapade that we ever get, but it might be. It's kind of in the the studio's hands at this point on whether they want AI to write inhumane scripts and use cgi extras to fill rooms because they you know it's cheaper than spending 200 bucks each day um so they won't take the positive lessons away from this and they will make more and more poor choices i can tell they're you they're making they're making like a poly pocket movie with lena dunham directing with lena dunham directing and it's like oh oh you did not yeah you yeah, you took the wrong lessons away from that one. You have 13 projects in development. Okay. Good job, yeah. Mattel. One of one of them will come out. It will bomb epically. And then they'll shelf well, all their other projects. And they're trying to make other stuff now, like Saw Patrol, because uh, like Dog Patrol oh, yeah. movie. Uh, and it's just like, yeah, we, I think we talked about it last week. It's like Desperate Ploys where it's just like, no, you're not going to meme another Barbenheimer for a while. It needs to be natural. <laughs> like, that was an organic... They don't... Like, the studios don't understand how fortunate... They're like... Somebody in, like, Warner Brothers or Universal's marketing studios like, I can't believe I came up with Barbenheimer. And it's like, no, 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 no. People started talking about Barbenheimer. And then you had to lean... You had to lean into it because you're not going to not lean into it. Um, so, Yeah. Fun little mini episode on some recent releases for us. Uh, we are ironing out our schedule, but I believe Pee Wee's Big Adventure is going to be on the doll- helm for us. Yeah, so uh, unfortunately tonight we're recording uh, the news. Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman himself, uh, died today. So uh, we were talking about it. Neither of us have seen Pee Wee's Big Adventure, Tim Burton's first movie ever. Um, so that's going to be first up on the docket for us this August. But we're working on everything else, but... In the meantime, thank you guys so much for listening. You can follow us on social media at Pod. That's on Twitter, 
which I guess is called X now, Instagram. Don't call and there's it threads that. too, and there's TikTok. The threads so. is dead. You can stop mentioning threads. <laughs> I've still posted occasionally on there, but yeah, once again, it's at Seen It Pod, and uh, leave us a five star review. Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, really helps us out the show and helps us grow it. So thank you guys so much. All right. well, thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next week.